Well, the Big D is back with a UFC 296 preview. I can't believe it's the last UFC event of 2023, but we're here to break them down. Please subscribe, like, and share the Spunky Spectrum Sports YouTube page. Might be football, might be basketball, might be soccer, might be MMA, golf, you don't know what it is. Also, check out the Big D podcast for your audio listeners, Spotify and Apple. So back to join me for the final UFC card of 2023 at Network Fantasy Labs, Billy Ward. So, Billy, uh, I know what you're going to be doing on Saturday night, uh, Detroit Lion football and UFC 296. Yeah, going to be a big weekend for me, you know, emotionally as a fan of a bunch of these things, but also financially. You know, this could be a big swing to the quality of Christmas presents here at the Ward household, depending on how all these things play out on Saturday. Oh, it, or it could be, be a big swing the other way. All right, that's what I mean. It's going to be it's going to be a big swing one way or the other. I've just, you know, we'll, we'll have to see which direction it heads. Are we getting all kinds of cool stuff or are you getting, you know, two dollars worth of candy because daddy blew it all on betting on his lions or something we shall see no i would never make a money line bet on an nfl team for anyone listening that's craziness there's like six people in the world who can consistently beat that and you're not one of them so that you part wouldn't... was a joke forever <laughs> please gamble responsibly which means no sides totals or money lines on football you wouldn't even take the cowboy money line when they played the giants in week 10 i think it was I mean, we just saw the Titans beat the Dolphins. We saw the Bengals with Jake Browning beat your Jaguars. Like, there's these things are very efficient. Again, there's I'm probably exaggerating saying five or six. There's probably less than 100 people who can consistently win in those markets. And I would bet every dollar to my name that if you're listening to this, you are not one of those 70 or so people. So, again, don't bet money lines. Don't let bet sides. I'll give you like two or three totals a year. You might have an edge on. We'll stick to our player props, our fights, you know, all kinds of fun stuff like that where we can actually win something. Do you remember the year the Bills beat the Vikings and Minnesota's like an 18-point favorite? Underdog, you mean, but yes. And I'm like, and I'm like, the Bills just ruined everybody's eliminator. Well, and, you know, we, we were talking about this a little bit off air, but and this is actually ties in really nicely to the UFC that we're going to talk about. At a high level of any sports, the difference between teams slash fighters we think of is really good and the ones we think of are really bad is really not that big. It's really close. There's two different fights where I'm going to mention that angle here shortly, but it's just everyone is so good. A really bad UFC fighter is still really, really good at everything involved in fighting, except for a handful of heavyweights, but, you know. We'll give those guys a pass. And a really bad NFL team is still, like, filled with top 0.01% athletes who've spent their whole life doing this. So the edges are not what you think they are much of the time. Well, uh, I this UFC 296 called, if if this is an end of 2023, we're going on the bang this weekend because they're all stacked fights. I mean, the uh, – Welterweight championship fights one. I think we've been waiting a long time, been a long time to see Leon Edwards and Kobe Covington fighting in Vegas. Wow. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like the the main event here is for the more casual fans who know Colby Covington because he talks so much. And the co-main event, the flyweight title is for the hardcore fans because you know a lot of the hardcore 
fans love to watch the flyweights. There's so much activity. It's, you know, probably going to be a closer fight. But, yeah, starting with the main event, kind of interesting that Colby is even in this position because it's hard to argue that he deserves it. He basically, for five fights now, he's beat one old guy, gets a title fight where he loses, beats another old guy who's about to retire, gets a title fight that he loses, then beat Jorge Masvidal right before Masvidal retired, gets another title fight that he's probably going to lose. I, I bet this line earlier, I did it in my luck ratings, of I was all over Leon Edwards. I think I got him at like minus 140. Those are gone. Cooler heads have prevailed and realized that Colby is not here because of his combat sports merit. He's here because he sells tickets. Still like Leon Edwards at minus 155. Can't believe this is the 8,200, 8,000 fight on DraftKings. Like, just a tremendous spot for Edwards from a cash game standpoint. With that said, don't really love it from a GPP standpoint. Leon Edwards just doesn't score many points. He's on this ridiculously long win streak. I think he's only topped 100 points in one of them. And then Covington has an awesome floor because his main attribute is just his output, his cardio, how much stuff he does. But yeah, one fight over 100 points since 2015. You know, even his dom- fairly dominant win over Usman, 79 points. Knockout win over Usman, 84 points. Colby is averaging over 100, even with a lot of losses on his record, a lot more than Edwards has. So definitely far more interested in Covington from a DFS standpoint. From a betting standpoint, Edwards is the better choice. He gives you a much better floor because he's likely to, or I shouldn't say much better floor, but he's likelier to win. I could even see a scenario here where Edwards wins but scores less fantasy points than Covington, which would be funny. Yeah, I feel like I feel like Covington's Covington's the big the guy most UFC fighters will know because his mouth is bigger. I mean, Leon Edwards doesn't feel like a sexy fighter. He just feels like someone who just who will win. I mean, we saw what happened against Usman when he hit hit that famous leg kick and then won last and then won the rematch where he got a where. Edwards got a point deducted, but still won comfortably against the former team. Yeah, you know, had we not had that third fight with Usman, I wouldn't be as confident in my pick here because, yeah, anyone can run into a head kick. You know, like, it's not the likeliest. I'm not saying it's luck because he's probably practiced that a million times. But it doesn't really say that he's a better fighter. But Usman has beat Covington twice. Not super dominant, but, like, no one had any questions about who deserved to win. And now Edwards has beat Usman twice. So I don't love doing the MMA math thing. I just don't see how it works out where Covington has an edge. And Usman is three years younger, been more active. You know, Colby is doing a lot of stuff outside of the cage, was whatever he's doing with Jorge Masvidal, losing fights at the Poppy Stake down there in Florida. So... Every every sign is pointing to Edwards continuing to get better here, whereas Covington, we've probably seen the best days already of him. Feels like one that Edwards should win. Can't believe the money line we got earlier in the week. Still think it's there. You know, it's going to be a close-ish fight, but Edwards is going to land the bigger shots. Covington might take him down, but he's not going to keep him down. Edwards is a much bigger fighter, much better athlete. What more can you ask for? I feel, I, yeah, when I saw, yeah, when I saw the n- numbers, I'm like, are you kidding me? I thought Edwards was going to be like uh, 175, 180, right? Right, and people that don't pay a ton of attention to MMA are going to be here 
betting on Colby Covington, which is what happened because Edwards opened around minus 170, depending on the sports book, got bet all the way down to close to minus 130. And then, you know, people who know what should happen here <laughs> have started piling in once we got that lower price. So that'll be interesting, you know, for people trying to time this. I'm guessing we already got the best line we were going to on Edwards, but do a bunch of people who just love Colby Covington and the character of Colby Covington start betting him on Friday or throwing him in parlays? Maybe. So you might get a better price later. I would guess. Do, do people potentially underrate Leon Edwards because stylistically he's not a great fighter? He does some... He, he might not win with great style. might not put up a lot of points in fights. I don't know. I think it's just we were all kind of surprised he knocked out Usman. You know, he had had a lot of finishes before or a lot of decision wins before that, which people don't like. Are you lost here? You still hear uh, me, Dylan? Yep. Oh, sorry about that. But yeah, no, I think you're onto something in that he doesn't, there's not like one thing he's just awesome at, right? He doesn't have huge power. He's not a world class wrestler. He's not going to pull off a flying arm bar. But there's nothing he's bad at either. You know, Usman couldn't take him down. Edwards pretty clearly won the striking in their exchanges. When Usman did take him down, he had the ground skills to get back up. I don't think he's ever been submitted. Certainly not in the UFC. Yeah, never been submitted, never been knocked out. Zero weaknesses, right? So Colby Covington needs to win for 25 minutes. Almost no chance he finishes him. Edwards has the power to put him away. And Edwards can land one or two big shots and steal rounds where Covington's going to need to land a million just to convince the judges he's the better fighter. So, yeah, I think you're probably onto something with how you framed that. Yeah, I feel I feel like I feel like in many ways Edwards could just Edwards could just pick his spots. But Covington's got to be aggressive. I mean, we know both guys have gone 25 minutes before, so. Conditions not going to be a factor for either guy, but Covington hasn't fought in one, two, 20, 21 months and twenty-one months in the UFC. Yeah, which isn't you know horrible. He's not like Misha Tate coming back after five years or whatever, but it's not great. We don't we don't like that. It doesn't make me feel better about his chances. Also, people haven't really talked about this, but since he kind of had his falling out with American Top Team. And he's training, like, kind of wherever, just like some random gym that he built around him. We've seen it in the past. It's not good to be, like, the star of your gym, right? Because you have a bunch of people on your payroll who aren't going to tell you the things that you don't want to hear. And that's kind of, you know, been around when stuff started to not go so well for him. So I don't know how much of a factor that is. I don't know what his training camps are like. But he was certainly better, sharper when he was at American Top Team training with Masvidal, training with Poirier, instead of just calling them all kinds of names on Twitter. How do you think How do you think Edwards will win if he does on Saturday night? The likeliest is probably a decision. I haven't checked out the winning methods. I, I would see a submission is very unlikely. Likeliest is probably a decision. I could see him finishing Colby just – as Colby tires himself out, Colby's a lot smaller. Like, I'm always a little bit surprised that Covington never fought 155. Not that he's little, little, but he just doesn't have a huge frame. We've seen the power from Edwards. You know, we've seen him put away Usman. 
you get a you know very tired Colby shooting some bad shots, running, doing the air kick. Wouldn't shock me. I don't think he you know starches him in the first round. I think if he finishes him, it's over time. He kind of beats him up, chips away at him, and then puts him away. But yeah, a decision would be the likeliest, I think. Uh, Leon Edwards plus one sixty five decision. Uh, TK uh, knockout of disqualification two seventy five decision plus fourteen hundred. Yeah, that's about where I'd have it. I think they might not be up yet, but sometimes you can combine two of those. So if you wanted to do knockout plus decision, it's not going to be much better than his money line, but it'll save you a few cents or whatever. So that's an option too. Just just play his money line though. Like it's he should be probably like minus two hundred. It's just the cult of Colby has influenced the betting markets more than they should. How do you think Kofi Covington could win? Because seemingly there've been there've been a few surprises this year with uh, surprising title fights. Yeah, and I am actually predicting a title to change hands on this card, just not that one. Sorry about that. I see. I see. You're looking at the co-main event, but not necessarily this one. So we both like Leon Woods to keep the 170-pound belt. Yeah, and you know, let's if I may inelegantly transition to the co-main event here, actually really excited about this one. Pantoja just won the title with a split decision win over Brandon Moreno. Ravel's only coming in on a three-fight win streak, but his last two losses were to Brandon Moreno and Pantoja. So this is a rematch from rematch from not all that long ago. Since then, been very good. You know, uh, I think I was on him pretty heavy when he knocked out Mateus Nicolau in his last fight, submission before that. I think what's happening with this line here is people are saying that Pantoja finished Roy Val like two years ago, and they go, that was only two years ago. How much has changed since then, right? Which is a reasonable take. They're around the same age. Roy Val's a little bit younger, which tends to help in rematches. But here's the thing. If you go back and watch that fight, Roy Val won the first round, was putting it on Pantoja in the second round, and then he got poked in the eye which caused Pantoja to get a takedown and finish him. The refs missed it. They didn't see it. Nothing got called. That was the finish. His loss before that against Moreno, he was actually, is very close. I think two judges had it for Moreno, one for Roy Val in the first round. And then at the end of, or the start of the second round, Roy Val had like a weird shoulder injury. It wasn't like Moreno actually finished him. So if you look back at all those, he hasn't really been beat in a very long time. He was winning against Pantoja on the judges' scorecards before an unfortunate eye poke. And Pantoja, while deserving the win over Moreno, it wasn't super clear, right? Like, we didn't see him dominate Moreno. He didn't look that much better. He won a split decision, could have gone either way. I was on Pantoja in that one, and I'm fading him in this one. Love both these guys for DFS. Obviously, they're flyweights. They're going to do so much. They're just going to do so many things. We probably get 25 minutes of them just bouncing around like whirling dervishes the whole time. So, yeah, stack this one in cash. I'll give you the cheat code in cash. It's Edwards and then both guys in the co-main event and then build from there. GPPs, love me some raw dog Roy Val here. We'll play some Pantoja too, but whoever wins is going to have a huge score just because you know how these flyways get down, Dylan. They don't stop moving. Yeah, and, pl- and plus, not only do they get takedowns, but get up easier because you can't hold down the 125-pound guy full wall. Yeah, exactly. And both guys can wrestle. You know, Pantoja got six takedowns in his last fight 
against Moreno, got three takedowns in the first fight against Royville, but Royville wrestles too. You know, he got a takedown against Pantoja. Like, just in a little over a round of that fight, there was four total takedowns, both guys getting them, both guys moving around, both guys looking for subs. Like, yeah, this this will be a great fight. Again, I've said before, like, the casual fan loves the name value on Colby Covington. The hardcore fan who really likes, you know, guys doing awesome MMA stuff, all about the flyweights. Why are all flyweights? I mean, so with two guys who are great on the mat, is this could this fight be by a submission? Could the winner submit the other guy? Yeah, I mean, it certainly wouldn't shock me. Both guys also have really good submission defense. Like, Roy Vale's only submission loss in his career was that one that I'm saying was a little bit fluky. But he has nine submission wins, so more than half of his pro wins via submission. Pantoja, not really a guy we think, well, Pantoja's got 10 submission wins, so more than half to, or not more than half, but the most, most of his wins have been that way, or the, the majority. So, yeah, I mean, it certainly could. I think both guys are slick enough defensively that I'm not really calling that. Like, if someone who does jujitsu and if you watch grappling competitions, at a higher level, you see far less submissions at a lower level. You throw two white belts or blue belts in there, someone's getting tapped. You throw two elite guys in there, probably no one's good enough to actually tap the other one out. I think, you know, very likely this one goes 25 minutes. And I think Roy Val edges him out. He throws a little bit heavier. It looks better to the judges. And we know judges don't reward takedowns unless you do a lot with them. So that's kind of a strike against Pantoja here. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny how sometimes you see somebody, you see one guy holding the other guy down for fifteen minutes, but he loses the fight because the other guy does more. The other guy does more standing. Yeah, we've seen it. You know, in recent fights, a lot of guys are starting to get wise to that. I forget who it was this last weekend, but someone got a takedown at the end of a round. They were probably losing, and just threw as hard as they could, like three punches. I don't know if any of them landed clean, but it was probably enough. Versus if you get that takedown, you're like, oh, I'm going to look for a head and arm choke and try to pass a pass to half guard with a Kimura. No, no, you're not getting points for that. You might as well just throw as hard as you can, try to convince some judges. But you can't do that when you can't hold the guy down, which is what we're going to have here. Yeah, well, Royval's extra, I mean, Royval being four inches tall help him? Or does it really matter with these guys? Um, you know, his reach isn't as much as his height, which I don't love, but, but yeah, it, I mean, and that's what he was doing to Pantoja early as he was striking at range before they, you know, came together. And that was when Pantoja had his moment. So certainly helps, certainly part of the game plan and probably helps more in a big cage than if they were fighting at the apex or whatever. Yeah. Because you've got, I got to look so where that last fight was not that. Uh, yeah, the last one was a fight night in a tighter cage, so this definitely also gives Roy Val a little bit of an edge. Yeah, more more to potentially strike or or keep Pantoja on the map. Well, I think you know Pantoja is going to be the one, broadly speaking, looking to keep this on the map. But both guys obviously can't grapple. I, I just wonder how I just wonder what what would be the overall takedowns on this fight because you know both these guys can just whoop 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 whoop, whoop. it's gonna be one. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'd say I'm going to, and I'm just totally throwing this out there, six and a half or seven and a half. When we do our uh, projections on Friday, I could actually give you a firm number on what we haven't projected at. But. Especially with the, with 25 minutes. If this fight does go 25 minutes, mm -hmm. that, that 6.5 would look kind of juicy. Yeah, but you figure like one and a half per round is how I arrived at that number. All right. So, I mean, we've discussed. So, we've discussed both title fights. What other fights are you looking forward to seeing this Saturday night? Oh, there's so many. I'm going to just start like rapid fire streaming these at you. And you feel free to stop me if you want to talk longer about any of them. But, uh, Shavkat Rachmonov, that, that boy, good. I mean, he's, he's good at everything, bad at nothing. I would actually rather see him fighting Leon Edwards for the title and then have Colby fight somebody else. Obviously not what's going to happen. This is a showcase fight for Shavkat. He's a little pricey from a DFS standpoint at 9,700. Thompson's kind of awkward and going to stay at range. And like, he's not a fighter that you can score a ton of points on. You know, the high is 111 or 112 in all of Shavkat's fight. Although he's finished all five UFC fights. Hasn't fought a guy as annoying as Thompson. Don't love this one for DFS. Hard time to bet on it. Very excited to see how Shavkat solves the Stephen Thompson puzzle, though. Like, that's just a pure fan, not a trying-to-make-money angle. Um, moving down, Tony Ferguson versus Patty Pimblett. Kind of sad, but I think we try to we try to get Patty in our lineups, right? Like, Tony Ferguson has been a shell of himself lately. He's about to set a record for most losses ever, or most losses in a row in the UFC. Also sad. You know, his training plan was to go do, like, Navy SEAL stuff with David Goggins for some reason, which cool, but the cardio wasn't the problem for Tony Ferguson. The heart wasn't the problem for Tony Ferguson. And that's what you're learning by going through Navy SEAL Hell Week. I don't think David Goggins is teaching him how to defend an armbar or anything, which is more what Tony Ferguson will need for this fight against the funky jujitsu of Patty Pimblett. So yeah, be sad. Try to get Patty Pimblett in your DFS lineups. Tricky because it's expensive, but I think he gets a finish here. Then finishing the main guard. Oh, go ahead. I'm a, I, I'm a little confused why Tony Ferguson's still fighting. I mean, he's lost well, what six, seven row now facing one, in, and now facing Patty Pimblin. So it feels like Patty's going. It feels like Patty might send Tony down. Send Tony down the strip of some kind. I mean. It, when they first announced this fight, I was like, come on, why? But then I thought about it more, and I think we've all realized that Patty Pimblett, he's kind of like an off-brand Colby Covington and that his character and his popularity exceeds his fighting ability. And Covington's very good. I'm not trying to take away from Covington as much as it sounds like. Covington's just not as good as his promotional skills are. Pimblett's the same way, just at a lower level in both fronts. If he can't beat... 80-year-old Tony Ferguson, then maybe we kind of give up on trying to make Patty a star. And if he does, we go, yeah, Tony Ferguson, that's a guy everyone knows. He's tough. He's been around a while. And for Ferguson, you can't have him fighting some guy who just came in off the contender series because, like, he's a former interim champion. He was one of the best lightweights for, like, a five-year span. But could he beat Patty Pimlet? I mean, maybe. Like, if there's a guy with a name that Tony Ferguson can beat, it's probably Patty Pimlet. Like, he's Ferguson's got more skills in some key areas here. He's just old and slow, and his chin isn't great anymore, and yeah. So I, I actually get it from a matchmaking standpoint once I thought about it a little bit more. But there's not really 
that much intrigue here. I think Patty gets it done. He's like a minus 300 and some favorite. Should finish him, should post a big score. Want him in a, a lot of lineups. Yeah, but Pimmel's last fight wasn't great. He only scored, what, 63 points against Gordon. And he should have scored 33 because the judges gave him a split decision win that was horrible. And you take that away because that was more than or almost half of his points. Yeah, I agree. He's not that great. Jared Gordon in this day and age is still a young fighter, young-ish fighter in his prime. A lot of danger. It'd be a lot easier to beat Tony Ferguson than it was to beat Jared Gordon. Like, Jared Gordon's good. And still good. You know, Ferguson used to be good, but we just saw Jared Gordon knock out Mark Madsen. You know, like, Jordan can do some stuff. Gordon can do some stuff that Ferguson probably doesn't at this point in his life. Maybe five years ago, Tony Ferguson could win this fight. I'm not sure about it now. Five years ago, Tony Ferguson would kill everybody we have mentioned in this conversation about lightweights, <laughs> like without a doubt. But, you know, five <laughs> years ago, I was an active professional fighter. Now I'm a fat dad. So, like, be, things, things change, Dylan. Could, could uh, Ferguson beat Mockingbird five years ago? They were supposed to fight. That was the famous one where uh, Islam... Oh, you said Makachev. I was thinking Habib. He's supposed to fight Habib. It was supposed to be fairly close. Prime Ferguson versus Islam? Maybe. I mean, it wouldn't It wouldn't be a blowout, right? Like, if Ferguson at his best would probably be, like, plus 150 odds. Oof. Hey, let's round out this main card real quick, because we have Vicente Luque versus Ian Machado Gary. A very interesting one. You know, Gary been in the news a lot for a lot of reasons other than his fighting skill getting kicked out of gyms left and right can't get anyone to keep him there a lot of controversy about his wife and how he arrived at the machado part of his last name all kinds of stuff ian gary should win this fight he's taller he's longer he's fast he's got great striking judo black belt pretty much everything you ask for but i was saying earlier about you know the margins aren't that big at, at the high level of this sport and if Gary's distracted by some of these things, Vicente Luque is a dangerous man. You know, he's no slouch. I think we kind of have Luque classified as, like, past his primer washed. He's 32. Like, he's not even that old. You know, big win over Rafael Dos Anjos in his last fight where he showed really good wrestling and cage control. That's probably the path to beat Gary here. You don't want to strike at range against the taller, more powerful fighter. I don't know. Like, I'm probably going to take a little bit of a sprinkle on Luque's money line betting standpoint, maybe even a little bit more by decision, because I think there's an angle to that. And for DFS, you know, he's so cheap that any win for Luke probably gets you there at 6,700. If he does win, he probably got some takedowns or at least some control time. So this one I'm really interested in. Again, I think Ian Gary wins. I think he gets his stuff together enough to handle business. But there's a lot going on in the life of young Ian Gary right now that could could be some distractions. And I don't want to fight Vicente Luque if I'm distracted. Yeah, it's going to be. Yeah, I, I sort of like Luque too. Plus 6,700 if you're going to play Stalls and Scrubs, which seemingly it's become, which seemingly everybody does nowadays. If you're going to play three or four of the title fights, guess what? You're going to need a cheap guy somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, this is not an angle I would take for cash, I think, because if, it doesn't work for Luke. It's probably because he gets knocked out fairly quick by the taller, faster, more powerful striker. Right. So he's more of a high ceiling relative to a salary, low floor. 
But you're right. If we want to squeeze in a couple of these heavy favorites, you got to play somebody cheap. You can't play six favorites. So from a GPP standpoint, like Luke a lot, I think there's other better spots we could look at for cash games. You know, we got the two female underdogs that are reasonably likely to go the distance, especially Lipsky. I think that's a good place to look. Other cheap fighter for GPP, since we're throwing it out there, Alonzo Menafield probably doesn't look great against, you know, a much more polished striker in Dustin Jacoby. But, man, that boy Alonzo Menafield hits a lot harder than Dustin Jacoby does. So Jacoby needs to point him, you know, outpoint him for 15 minutes. Menafield just needs one. That's the kind of fighter I like to, you know, take a few sprinkles at for some long shot GPPs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if Menfield gets that one shot, it's it's a sign I mean, he's got three finishes in his last four fights. And it's just one of those. If he's going to win, it's going to be a knockout. Or, you know, you know, a club and sub like he did with Jimmy Crute. But like, won that with his striking, even though he won by a submission. If he loses, it's probably because he can't get anything going. Justin Dustin Jacoby is a far cleaner striker, you know, some high-level Muay Thai. Menafield's kind of a brawler. But it just takes one, you know? <laughs> like, if I'm fighting a guy like that who I have to be perfect for 15 minutes to stay conscious, and he just needs to land one, that's a scary proposition. So, like that fight from a GPP standpoint, too. I mean, it's like, it's like fighting Derek Lewis at, at heavyweight. One strike, at, and all of a sudden, you're, you're uh, seeing stalls in 14 seconds. Yeah, I mean, tied to Ivasa when he fought Cyril Gan. Like, he was real close to knocking him out. If he doesn't knock him out, it's going to be a long night. And that's that's what it was. He almost got him, didn't work. So, Gan eventually took over. But, yeah, similar deal. And these are 205ers, right? So, it's not like we're talking about a drastically different weight class. Kind of the same principle applies here with any of these big boys. Yeah, it's not a question of necessarily whether there be a long fight. It's a question of how long the fight will be. Yeah, but, you know, Jacoby is not a guy who super aggressively hunts knockouts. You know, he, he I don't want to say he points fights. Like, he would knock me out in a second if he hit me. So, Justin Jacoby, not that you're listening, but I'm not saying you couldn't do it, Dustin Jacoby. But I'm saying most of your fights, he's out here, you know, landing volume okay he'll knock people out he knocked out kennedy and Cheku in his last fight but for the most part he's you know trying to win with technical striking not just throwing big bombs and hoping one of them lands so um what wait how do you think that your gpp strategy will be this week with two title fights yeah, I mean, for GPPs, it doesn't really change that much for a second one. Like, you're still kind of evaluating these individually. I'm, I can honestly say, if you think Edwards wins the main event, but you think it looks like a lot of Leon Edwards fights, you can kind of pass on the main event, really. Because Edwards could very well win this, but not be in the optimal lineup. I think, again, for GPPs, you got to play one of the flyweights. There's 14 fights on the card, so we probably don't want to stack any one fight for GPPs. You play one of the flyweights. If you think Colby has a chance at winning it, you got to play him because his output is so absurd. You could even see Colby making the optimal lineup at 8,000, even without a win. So, yeah, I, you know, one of the flyweights is a priority. Main event, less so. You know, I'll be mixing both guys in, but I'm not, like, 
forcing Leon Edwards into any of my lineups. And then from there, you talked about Stars and Scrubs. I think there's some closer lined fights that I'm real interested in. Shamil Gaziev, he's another fighter. He's won every single one of his pro fights in six minutes or less. And he's fighting a big, slow plotter in Martin Budai. If Budai wins, probably not a great DFS score. If Gaziev wins, probably a massive score. Not saving you a ton of salary at 7,800, but he's one I want. Um, Cody Durden's another one because Cody Durden really likes to wrestle. You know, in his wins, he... So he's on a four-fight winning streak. In those four fights, he has 19 takedowns. I don't think he's going to win necessarily, but if he does win, it's going to be a real big score. So I think one way to be unique here is kind of avoiding the super expensive fighters like the Rachmanovs, Ian Gary, Patty, you know, those guys who I don't think are likely to live up to their salary, playing some shorter underdogs and then pair that with, you know, the slight favorites, the Andre Feely, Alessandre Pantoja. I think Irene Aldana is super underrated in terms of her ability to get a finish here. So I think, you know, going a more balanced lineup might be an edge here in GPPs because I think most people are going to say, all right, I want two of Pimblet, Rachmonoff, and Gary, and I'll do whatever I can to fit those guys in. And for and cash, that's probably what I'm doing too. But for GPPs, you know, we need to be sneaky here. What about cash? I mean, do we – I'm guessing we play – I don't think we want to stack both fights. I think we want to play three of the four title fighters, right? Yeah, I mean, keep up here, uh, Dylan. I gave away the answer to that at the top of the show. It's Leon Edwards in both flyweights is probably the answer for cash. You could you could convince me that if that $200 really helps your lineup, going Colby in both flyweight fighters also makes sense. Again, it would not shock me to see Colby lose the fight but score more fantasy points. It's not the likeliest. Wouldn't shock me. If you need that $200, you got my permission. Go ahead and switch to Colby. If you don't or it doesn't really help you that much, I think the answer is Edwards in both flyweights for cash. It's still tricky after that, though. Like, I've played with some builds. You really got to reach if you want some of these super expensive fighters. You know, can you settle for Randy Brown instead of Patty Pimblett or Ian Gary and save some cash? Yeah, but you're going to be real sad if Randy Brown wins a decision and Ian Gary smokes him in the first round. So... It's tricky. I think of the three real expensive, Gary is probably my priority. He just has the most finishing equity, I think. Rachmonov might look the best. It's just really hard to finish Stephen Thompson. He's a million feet tall. He's going to crane kick you like Daniel LaRusso from 40 feet away half the fight. So, like, it's it's hard to just dominate Stephen Thompson and look good and put up a big score. With that said, if you had the salary to get to Rachmonoff and still feel good about everyone else, play it. That 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 guy's awesome. He might be the best welterweight alive now that Hamzad has left the division. So, yeah, it's real tricky for cash. You just got to save salary somewhere. Like I said, both female fighters, solid options. I especially like Lipsky. I talked about this in my luck ratings, but Casey O'Neill was 9-0, and huge prospect. That's who's fighting Ariane Lipsky. Tears her ACL. Comes back, doesn't look great against Jennifer Maia. I'm not super impressed by Maia, kind of a bad fight. But you go, okay, but she's one more fight away from her injury, right? This is when we buy the dip on these fighters. They should be better. Except she had another injury that forced her out of a fight like two months ago. Didn't say what it was. I don't know if it's also to the knee. I'm just a little scared. And again, even if it goes wrong on that, Lipsky probably goes 15 minutes. 
throws a ton of punches because she just comes out here one two one two one two one two the whole fight. You probably get a score that doesn't kill you. So that's one spot to save salary. You probably need one more cheap fighter. Good luck on that. I love playing stalls and scrubs. I'm like, we played the same line the last two weeks, and all of a sudden, I'm like, one of our guys is gone in like five seconds. I'm like, oh, great. Well, the problem with the stars and scrubs, and we've ran into it a couple weeks, is it's not so much that you get disappointing scores from the scrubs. It's that if your heavy favorite, well, I mean, if they lose, you're totally out of luck. But if your heavy favorite scores 80 and the other guy's heavy favorite scores 95, you're kind of out of luck. So it puts a lot of pressure on getting those spots right instead of having two moderate favorites that could both get you good scores and you kind of maneuver around. I think oh, last I week for us it was who was our cheap fighter that got starts right away where everybody else had a different one and the that was what made the difference. $500 fighter and the $7,400 fighter put up like 150 points and I'm like, oh, great. What day? Now, there was one last week where, like, we were on a different one than most of the field. And they took a loss, too. Whoever it was also didn't win, but they scored, like, 30, and our cheap fighter scored, like, two. I'm trying to remember who it was. Let me look real quick. Everybody else, I believe, had Stephanie Egger, I want to say. Yeah, they had Stephanie Egger. We had Jamie Malarkey. Malarkey got starts right away. Egger had, like, 30 points, so nothing crazy. But... Our lineups were pretty much chalk outside of that. So because Malarkey lost to Edgar, we were done. Yeah, that's always fun, right? But it is how to, and it's going to be this week. Like if you play, I don't know, let me give you an example. If you play Randy Brown and Rachmonoff and Gary and Pimblet outscore them, because collectively that's the same salary, it's going to be tough to make it up elsewhere. So getting those favorites right is tough. I don't, Love any of them as DFS options. I think there's you can poke a hole in everybody relative to their salary, at least. But yeah, who has been what fight has been the best one you can remember this year? Mm, that's a tough one because off the top of my head, I and this is super recency biased because we're talking about it, but no, actually, I'm gonna change my mind. Was Sarukian? Gamrot this year, or did that happen last year? That might have been late last year. Let me see. I'm looking real quick. If that was last year, I'm actually going to say Pantoja versus Roy Bell for the title, the last fight. That was super fun, super close fight. Yeah, that was last year. It wasn't even that late last year. All right, never mind. Yeah, recency bias because we're talking about the flyweight title, but that's going to be my, my lean right now. You got to give me these questions ahead of time, Dylan. You got to give me some time to uh, plan these out because I talk about and think about so many fights. Once we move on a week, like, those didn't exist anymore. <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, 2023's been crazy with so many, with upsets happening, new, new title fights. I mean, I can't wait for the 2024 title fights, big card in Toronto, big card in Anaheim. I mean, it is going to be another crazy year. Yeah, I mean, 11 title fights, or 11 new champions, or 11 titles have changed hands already. That's pumped up a little bit because nobody can hold the lightweight, light heavyweight title for more than 10 seconds without tearing something or going to jail or some combination therein. So, you know, that's, that's it's twisted a little bit. And because earlier in 2023, the heavyweight champion just left, and we made two heavyweight champions since then for some reason. 
So it's a little bit misleading, but yeah, eleven new champions this year. And John could Jones see one or two more on Saturday. And John Jones fights once in a blue moon, what right? Yeah, and he got hurt too. I mean, he was supposed to fight again, but he got hurt. So like former light heavyweight champion, he's still cursed by that belt where you can't hold it for more than ten minutes. Maybe Fahe, maybe Fahea and uh, Jamel Hill when he comes back and uh, finally settled the two of five belt. Yeah, I mean, Pahea might for a year or two, but he's kind of up there. Our, I think our best shot of a stable division is Jamal Hill reclaiming his throne. You know, we're a little early to be talking about futures, and feel free to have me on later in the month if you want to talk about some, like, future bets on title holders. Don't love a guy who relied on his footwork and movement to reclaim the title after tearing his, AC, or tearing his Achilles. Don't love that for Jamal Hill, but we'll talk about that another time. Especially, especially when Alex Pahea could finish you in one fell swoop. Yeah, it, I mean, it's almost like we were talking about with Jacoby and Menafield where, oh, we're getting so far off the rails here. But Jamal Hill, you know, big power himself, but probably needs to win it from a more technical standpoint where Pea can have one moment. And if you don't, you know, you take a step and that plant foot's not doing what you expect it to because your Achilles isn't all the way right, it can be a long night. Well, uh, Billy, thanks for hopping on for all these pay-per-view cards. Wish you a happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and hopefully Saturday night goes well for your Lions and DFS. Thank you, sir. Yeah, going to be a big one. Hopefully everyone enjoys the football, the fights, all the above.